0: Yeah. It is Thursday, July 11th, here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Shoff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and we are into the final division of our projections breakdown series. The AFC North is on tap with lots of change going on throughout the division. And this show is brought to you by the FFPC. That's myffpc.com, which is on the verge of its early draft slot announcement. The FFPC main event, of course, carries a $500,000 grand prize. You can draft live in Las Vegas. You can draft from the comfort of your own home so that nobody else in your league can see you. You can add a second entry or more. You get a multi-team discount to save a few hundred bucks. All main event teams that are fully paid by Monday, July 22nd, that's 11 days from this taping, will be eligible for early draft slot announcement. They will receive their FFPC main event draft positions on Monday, July 29th. And Jared, when you're trying to win a big tournament like this... Every bit of draft prep is important, and knowing your draft spot as early as possible can only help, right?
1: Yeah, it's a pretty big edge, I think. I mean, if you're going to do the main event, no reason not to get in before that July 22nd deadline. Um, you, you can use, use our mock draft trainer and you know, practice hundreds of drafts if you want. From that draft spot with the FFPC scoring, you'll be more prepared than owners, I think, who, who don't get that draft spot this early.
0: Yeah, and it's not like the best ball teams that we're often talking about, where you're taking a bunch of shots yeah. and you get shares of different players. I mean, you're drafting a team, a couple of teams, you know, a few teams maybe. Mm-hmm. You want to optimize your lineup. You want to know exactly what to expect as you hit each round. And you want to have some alternate plans yeah. when things inevitably go differently than you're expecting heading in.
1: Yeah, for sure. It definitely helps. We'll have our perfect draft article out too for FFPC, so we got you covered with the strategy, but you got to get your draft spot first.
0: There you go. So do that, and then we'll help you get what you need before draft time. We'll move on now to the AFC North, and we're going to start with the Baltimore Ravens, who have the same head coaches they've had for a while, but... They moved on from offensive coordinator Marty Mornenweg after last season. They promoted Greg Roman, who had been on the offensive staff the previous two years, senior offensive assistant, then assistant head coach. He was also the tight ends coach both of those seasons. Greg Roman has also spent six previous years as an offensive coordinator, four in San Francisco, then two in Buffalo.
1: Yeah, and the guy likes to run the ball a little bit. Um, All four of his 49ers teams finished top nine in both rush attempts and rushing yards. His two Bills teams both led the league in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns.
0: And collectively, his six offenses ran the ball on 49.8% of offensive snaps. Four of those six teams ran on more than 50% of offensive plays. So the Ravens are going to run.
1: Yeah, pretty easy to project them as the run heaviest offense in the league this season, especially when you consider Lamar Jackson's under center. and He's going to add to that total. Um, And we already saw that. Last year, after Lamar Jackson took over, the Ravens ran on sixty point nine percent of their offensive snaps, which is a number you just don't see in the NFL. Yeah, I
0: actually had sixty three point seven percent of his of their plays in his seven starts. I wonder where our discrepancy is.
1: Staff members, I think, right? I don't
0: know. Yeah, I guess I guess that's probably it. (laughs) Um, But so that sixty three point seven percent run share over the final seven regular season games last year. If you put that over a full season, that would be more than 10 percentage points higher than Seattle's league-leading rate last year, and Seattle's rate was high mm-hmm. compared with previous seasons. So the Ravens are going to come way down from that, but they can come way down from that and still be the most run-heavy team in the
1: league. Yeah, I think they almost have to come down, just because, again, we, you know, we, we haven't seen a number anywhere into the 60s in the NFL, since, at least as far as I could go back. Um, I, I projected... The Ravens at 54% run this season. So yeah, that's down quite a bit from what they were under Lamar Jackson last year. But, you know, again, it's still it ranked second in the NFL last year behind only Seattle. And before that, no team topped a 54% run rate since Greg Roman's 49ers back in 2013. Yeah,
0: I have them at 55% run. Like you said, it's still very high. And I would think that that's what Baltimore is going to shoot for. Because if they have... Lamar Jackson run the ball 17 or 18 times a game on purpose. Yeah. They're going to wear him down, and they're going to get very predictable.
1: I yeah, think. I think it's important to remember too that you know Jackson stepped in midway through last season after you know not really taking any starter reps in training camp or obviously anywhere through you know the first half of the season. So I think the offense is probably dumbed down a bit for him. I think they obviously want him to throw more and run a bit less this season. Mm-hmm.
0: Now moving on to QB notes, of course, Jackson. You have to lead with the rushing. He set the NFL record. <laughs> rushing attempts by a quarterback as a rookie, despite only starting seven games. He's the heavy favorite to lead all quarterbacks in rushing yards, I would say. And I think Jackson has the upside to reach a thousand yards on the ground, even though we've only ever seen that happen one time in the NFL. Michael Vick, uh, I think it was 2006. I wrote down the wrong number here. Three others have reached 900. There was another Vick season in there. Only two others have reached 800. So I think Jackson's Ultimate ceiling reaches to 1,000. I think more realistically, somewhere around 800 yards So a solid expectation.
1: Yeah, I think that that feels about right. I do think he has the upside, like you said, to, to crack 1,000. I think he, he's probably the most dynamic runner at quarterback since Michael Vick. And, you know, maybe he even...
0: What about Josh Allen?
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we already talked about him. Um, yeah, I mean, if you just look at Lamar Jackson's pace numbers in his starts last season, he was on pace for full season total, 272 carries and 1,270 <laughs> rushing yards. So... If that's gonna come down. The question is by how much is it gonna come down?
0: Yeah, I mean I, I think it's I think it would be a good bet that he sets a new record for QB rushing attempts, considering he'll probably get sixteen starts this year. I hope that he falls somewhere short of Larry Johnson's uh carries from his his breakout year <laughs> in Kansas City. Of course, the the rushing we all know about, the question is, what's the passing going to look like? And I really don't know if Baltimore even knows at this point. In spring, we had reports of Lamar Jackson just being introduced to the new offense. Mm -hmm. Like he got there and they were like, hey, Lamar, here's a new offense. And he was like, what? I didn't know they were going to have that with this brand new coordinator. So it seems a little odd. He's working on his mechanics. We've got a whole bunch of new receivers.
1: Yeah, and he came out himself in the spring and said he wasn't throwing the ball very well. But, you, know, you don't you don't hear from quarterbacks very often. You don't want to hear that from your NFL quarterback. Um, it's
0: refreshing to hear like I, truth from somebody at, at in, in spring workout. Refreshing, though.
1: but it just doesn't make me feel good about <laughs> right. what we're gonna see this coming season. Um, yeah, I mean, fifty eight percent completion rate last year not good enough, obviously. Um, PFF graded him thirty first among thirty seven quarterbacks in their passing grades among guys with two hundred plus dropbacks. So he has a long way to go. If you're drafting him, it's obviously for that rushing upside.
0: Mm-hmm. So Lamar Jackson scored at QB nine level over the five seven weeks last year after, over the last seven weeks last year, but he scored at a rate that would have ranked just fifteenth among quarterbacks for the year. The rushing stuff's great. I don't think it's as much of a differentiator now as it was even like eight or ten years ago mm-hmm. at the position. He's QB7 and ADP. I think that's a fine level. QB17, uh, right? 17. I'm <laughs> i speaking today. I didn't get a whole lot of sleep last night. QB17 is the ADP. It's a fine level. I'm not interested any higher than that, though.
1: I was honestly surprised that he didn't come out higher in my projections with the rushing. I think you're right there. I think it's because there are so many rushing quarterbacks now. and Not to the level of Jackson, but enough where if you're you know running for... 300 yards but also you know killing jackson in the passing categories i think that's why he came in lower I, I just wanted to note too last year was interesting he was consistently mediocre as far as his weekly finishes his his um weekly finishes in his his i think it was seven starts right mm-hmm. or eight i, I have uh, yeah seven starts he finished 14th 14th 13th 13th 9th 7th and then 4th so you know he was sort of giving you like very low end quarterback one production he wasn't really winning you weeks he, he wasn't killing you you either Yeah,
0: terrific rushing, not much passing. If he goes for like 22-plus touchdown passes this year, then that'll change things, but that's what's got to happen for him to really deliver big upside. Running back notes, every Greg Roman offense so far has had a running back average at least 15.6 carries per game. That comes out to about 250 carries over a full 16-game season. Last year, only six running backs in the league reached 249 carries. The year before, only eight did. 2016, we saw 11 of them. 2015, we saw five of them. So if Mark Ingram, who is the new lead running back for Baltimore, Mm -hmm. gets just that level, and 15.6 is the lowest level that a Roman lead running back has gotten to this point, he's going to rank among the league's better bets for weekly rushing volume.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot working in Mark Ingram's favor this season. Like you said, Roman's history. Roman has also had his lead running back finish top 21 in PPR points in all six of his seasons as an offensive coordinator. So that's a mark in Ingram's favor. You have just the run-heavy offense with a rushing threat at quarterback, which we know tends to help open up lanes for running backs. Um, Ravens running backs in Lamar Jackson's seven starts last season averaged almost 28 carries per game, 150 rushing yards per game, um, over half a touchdown per game. So those are nice numbers. Um, so I think, you know, assuming Ingram wins the feature job, which I think he will, um, it, it's a great situation for rushing volume.
0: Yeah, and Baltimore clearly believes that Mark Ingram is an upgrade over Gus Edwards and Kenneth Dixon. Otherwise, it would have had no reason to sign him for you know, decent free agent money Mm -hmm. at a a position where it's easy to find replacement players. So behind Mark Ingram, we've got Justice Hill versus Kenneth Dixon probably Mm -hmm. for the second running back spot. And at this point, I would have to think that the team likely wants Justice Hill to win that. He's more different from Mark Ingram as a player than Kenneth Dixon is.
1: Yeah, um, Justice Hill, the smaller, speedier guy. My my concern where I think Dixon has the edge is that Hill didn't catch a ton of passes at Oklahoma State. He also struggled in pass blocking. PFF had him 56th in this year's running back class in pass blocking efficiency. So if he doesn't prove to the coaching staff he can do that, I think you know that that might give Dixon a shot to hang on to the you know, change of pace, pass catching role here. And Hill,
0: despite being a speedy guy in the lead back at Oklahoma State, was only averaged 6.2 yards a catch. So hasn't didn't show big stuff as a receiver. He mentioned the, the pass blocking stuff. That stuff's going to matter. I've seen a little bit of excitement for Justice Hill in the later rounds. I'm going to temper that until we at least get into July or August and hear that the team is excited about him and that Kenneth Dixon is not coming along because I still think Kenneth Dixon has the potential to be a good player.
1: Yeah, I mean Hill's interesting just because he can give you those big plays and we know there's going to be a lot of carries to go around here, but um, he's not a guy I'm spending a draft pick on right now. Kenneth Dixon, I'm also
0: not spending a draft pick on, but I'm not giving up on him in Dynasty yet. Dixon's heading into his age 25 season. He was a stellar receiver in college. 11.1 yards per catch career, 15 receiving touchdowns, along with being you know the lead ball carrier at Louisiana Tech. Honestly, I'm kind of hoping that he doesn't make the regular season roster in Baltimore so that he goes somewhere else and gets a shot with a team that didn't just sign somebody to be the, yeah. the lead ball carrier.
1: Yeah, and Dixon was good Last year, especially down the stretch with Lamar Jackson under center, he averaged 6.2 yards per carry, and even by the end of the season, into the playoffs, he sort of turned it into a 50-50 split between him and Gus Edwards. It's easy to call him a
0: bust at this point, but injuries have been a big part of it, and and, you know, maybe they will ultimately keep him from really getting it going, but we've seen other running backs start out as injury-prone guys and then finally get that healthy season and suddenly turn into somebody that we can depend
1: on. Yeah, I'm sure he's pretty much free in Dynasty right now.
0: Right. Gus Edwards says he doesn't expect his role to change from last year. I'm going to go ahead and call BS on that. Uh, Edwards led last year's Ravens running backs in carries, averaged a nice 5.2 yards per carry. Only saw two total targets, though. At, you know, despite yeah. taking over that backfield for a while, and then the team signed Mark Ingram in free agency, and then drafted Justice Hill. Gus Edwards might be a bit overlooked as a handcuff late in drafts, but. I'm not look I'm not optimistic for him in twenty nineteen beyond that.
1: Yeah, I mean I will say he was good last year, even beyond you know the the good situation he was in. Um from week from week eleven on, he was fifth in elusive rating among thirty-four running backs with fifty plus carries over that span. He was also twelfth among those thirty-four in PFF's rushing grades. I just think Mark Ingram's a better running back, so I mm-hmm. expect Ingram to be the lead guy. But yeah, I agree. I think it's a situation at least worth checking on this summer. Mm-hmm. There's upside for sure uh, at, the, at the very end of drafts.
0: Pass catcher notes, four of Greg Roman's six previous offenses had a tight end grab more than 19.5% of the team's targets. That would be a top five rate at the position for most seasons. He had Vernon Davis do that for four seasons in San Francisco. He had Charles Clay for two seasons in Buffalo. The obvious step is to say that Mark Andrews is the upside guy here, but I think drafters might be getting a little too excited for him at his tight end 15 ADP over the past two weeks.
1: I agree. That's sooner than and he, He's a guy I'm interested in. You know, I liked him as a prospect coming out of Oklahoma, and he, he flashed last year. So I, I kind of wish I could draft him, but I, I can't at that price. It's really tough to find him enough targets to you know be anywhere close to a you know, top 12 tight end even if he got up to like 19 percent which is a big number in this offense with the low passing volume that's not going to give him a ton of looks um he's also in for obvious regression too he averaged 16.2 yards per catch last year that was fueled by 74 and 68 yard receptions we're not we're not counting on those long plays uh going forward especially for a tight end
0: yeah now he's a good receiver he was a good receiver at oklahoma with baker mayfield He very well might remain the better receiver versus Hayden Hurst, who arrived in the same draft. Andrews also finished fourth on the team last year in targets, fourth even late in the season after Lamar Jackson took over. His target situation improved when John Brown and Michael Crabtree left in the the offseason. They didn't bring in any worthwhile free agents unless you're a Seth Roberts fan. But Hayden Hurst returns to full health this year, we assume at this point. Uh, And he basically lost his rookie season. I mean, he had August surgery on a stress fracture in a foot. Uh, It's tough to expect a rookie to come back from an August foot surgery and have a meaningful rookie season.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. I'm not writing off Hurst yet. I I wasn't a big fan of him coming Mm -hmm. in. Um, Yeah, I I actually I, I think in my pre draft rankings I even had Andrews ranked ahead of Hayden Hurst, and you know, sort of when when the Ravens took Hurst in the first round, he had to be interested. But yeah, we'll see. He he did. Missed time already this spring with a hamstring. Um, he he put on 20 pounds of muscle. I'm not sure to <laughs> take that as a good thing as a, or as a bad thing. Or is an upcoming they... PED suspension? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it could be a bad thing. Um, you know, Hur- Hurst's not draftable at this point, but um, worth keeping an eye on, especially if you're interested in Andrews, because if Hurst is going to steal, you know, any targets from Andrews, um, you know, again, there's not a ton to go around in this passing game. Yeah, and
0: I don't care about Hayden Hurst either, but. The outlook would be a lot better for Mark Andrews if he didn't have a classmate from just a year ago who the Ravens chose two rounds earlier. Clearly at that point, at least, Baltimore thought Hayden Hurst was a better investment than Mark Andrews. Marquise Brown was the first round pick this year. Love the speed, like the player. I hate that his college career ended with a Lisfranc injury to his left foot that required surgery.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've seen that issue cause ongoing problems for guys, Sammy Watkins, Julio Jones, come to mind. Um, and, and then you add the fact that Marquise Brown is just super small. He was checked into the combine at 166 pounds. You know, we don't see many successful wide receivers at that weight. So there's definitely concerns with Marquise Brown, but he's, you know, he, he has truly elite speed. We probably overused that term, but I think he has elite speed. And I, I think, you know, he's a first-round pick, so the Ravens obviously have big plans for him. Even in a low volume passing game, I think if Brown – can, you know, lead this team in targets, then that he has a chance to at least be, be a nice best ball pick. I'm not sure we're ever going to be able to rely on him in lineup setting leagues this season, but I think there could be some big games for best ball teams.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, he, he certainly profiles as somebody who should have some big games. I, and honestly, I didn't even check his ADP coming into the show because that's how uninterested I am <laughs> in him for, late. for 2019. Late,
1: yeah. um, wide receiver, 66.
0: Yeah, so I can't fault anybody for taking Marquise Brown at that point. Um, but I, I, I haven't been chasing him at all. Willie Sneed, Chris Moore are basically undrafted. I think that technically makes them undervalued, but I'm not chasing any receiver here because even at that point in the draft, I want somebody with more upside than either of those players presents.
1: Yeah, I mean, so Sneed led the Ravens last year with 62 catches. And, you know, if if things don't go right for Marquise Brown this season, I think there's an outside chance Sneed leads, leads the team and catches again. But even last year, you know, that only made him. PPR wide receiver 52 I think that that's about his upside and he's not a guy that's going to give you any spike weeks
0: yeah I do think there's a chance Chris Moore is you know similarly good for two to three big weeks mm-hmm. and enters starting lineups and makes sense at the very end of a best ball draft but I'm not saying go get pieces of Chris Moore I don't care if you do or not
1: yeah I mean John John Harbaugh hyped him up this spring um, the Ravens owner hyped him up this spring um, you know we'll see it's, it's it's his fourth year now he has just 44 catches through three NFL seasons um, he, he tested well. He's an 81st percentile athlete, but he also never led any of his Cincinnati teams um, in catches or receiving yards, so he wasn't a great you know prospect coming into the league, and he hasn't done much through three seasons, so I'm not, I'm not holding my breath on, on Chris Moore.
0: Yeah, if he had a quarterback that we could count on, then I, I would be interested. I was interested last summer, but uh, I, I'm not at this point. Who I do like, I, I'm, I'm not chasing a single Raven hard. I believe that Mark Ingram at RB24 is the best value that they
1: have. Yep, me too. Again, Roman's produced a top 21 running back in all six of his seasons as offensive coordinator. And you know this team might be even more run heavy than some of those others were.
0: Yeah, and the, the piece that we didn't mention with Mark Ingram when we were doing running back notes is that we have no idea what running back receiving is going to look like with Lamar Jackson because right. he didn't throw the ball a whole lot. To his running backs at Louisville, and then he didn't throw the ball a whole lot to anybody over the final seven games last year.
1: Yeah, I mentioned the uh, running back um, numbers in Jackson seven starts as far as uh, the rushing production goes, but they also averaged just three point six targets per game as a as a group um, under Lamar Jackson. So yeah, that that hurts Mark Ingram's PPR outlook. But again, if he's going to see you know two hundred fifty carries and a running back twenty four, even if he only catches you know twenty passes, he can still pay off. Mm-hmm. Who I don't like.
0: Mark Andrews in the middle of tight end two territory, Jack Doyle, Jimmy Graham, Jordan Reed, all easy picks ahead of Mark Andrews, I think, who are going uh, behind him. And really, down at that level, I'd rather take a shot on Gerald Everett if I'm shooting for a late upside tight end, because I think Everett comes with a much higher touchdown ceiling at a position where that matters even more than it does at others.
1: Yeah, they're... Pretty similar in that, you know, there are younger guys who have another tight end to worry about, but Everett's in the, you know, in a passing game, it's going to be much more productive. So I'm with you there. I mean, so I haven't drafted Mark Andrews. I haven't drafted Lamar Jackson either, and a quarterback 17 ADP, that's fine, but, you know. Philip Rivers going behind him. Mitchell Trubisky going behind him. I'm, I'm taking those two over Lamar Jackson at this point.
0: Yeah, and when I see Lamar Jackson creeping up the board as I'm getting to that level, I'm like, all right, I can wait to take the quarterback that I want because I know somebody's <laughs> going to take Lamar Jackson right. ahead of the guy that I'm looking
1: at. Yep.
0: On to the Cincinnati Bengals where they told Marvin Lewis to get out finally. They hired Zach Taylor, who seems like the poster boy for because, <laughs> because he knows Sean McVay. Uh, I... I I actually typed Matt LaFleur in here when I was doing my notes. <laughs> had to remind myself not to call Zach Taylor Matt LaFleur. Uh, Taylor was the offensive coordinator for part of 2015 in Miami. He was the offensive coordinator at University of Cincinnati in 2016. That's it for his <laughs> coordinator experience. He was, the, he was an assistant wide receivers coach. In Sean McVay's first Rams season, he was the quarterbacks coach last year. and Otherwise, he's had three other seasons as a quarterbacks coach in Miami. I I like to bring up Andy Reid when we look at somebody jumping from a position coach to a head coach. Because obviously Andy Reid did that successfully. And going from quarterbacks coach in Green Bay to Eagles head coach, Chiefs head coach has been awesome. But I think it's worth noting in that. That when Andy Reid started out, he had as his offensive coordinator, Rod Dauhauer, who had spent nine previous years as an NFL offensive coordinator, two previous years as an NFL head coach. So he had experience coming with him
1: rod dalhauer is, is before my time it just just sounds like a football coach in the 80s though
0: doesn't it he was the head coach of the colts for two yeah. seasons in the mid-80s yes
1: yeah, so, i mean this Bengals offense is it's tough to know what to expect because like you said we we have really nothing to go on with zach taylor you know like you said it's five games as miami's interim offensive coordinator back in 2015 and then they hire brian callahan as offensive coordinator um he's the son of bill callahan who we know but Brian Callahan also has no experience calling plays. You know, he spent time with the Broncos as an offensive assistant, Lions quarterback coach under our guy Jim Bob Cooter in 2016 and th- 2017. And then last year, he was with John Gruden as the Raiders quarterback coach. So you know, we have some coaching tree stuff to go on there, but nothing as far as play calling tendencies.
0: Yeah, and you throw in the defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, who is also in his first turn as an NFL coordinator there's not a lot of experience here. There are a bunch of other young guys on the offensive staff as well. I mean, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe we get some guys with new ideas doing things that other teams are not ready for because they haven't seen them. But maybe we get a yeah. bunch of guys who are also in over their head right away and don't quite get things going in the first season who knows? We, we'll we see.
1: Yeah, it's probably either going to go really well or really poorly. I think that's <laughs> sort of how we should view this Bengals offense this season. Uh,
0: on the run-pass split side, again, not a whole lot to go on here. Six NFL offenses that, offenses that Zach Taylor has been involved with have averaged 59.7% pass. The nine NFL offenses that Brian Callahan has been involved with have averaged 59.1% pass. I went with 5941 for my pass-run split.
1: I went with fifty-eight, forty-two, just because that would have been like exactly league average <laughs> next year. And again, I just, I don't know what to, to expect. So I think that's how I'm going to start. And then hopefully we learn more about the offense as we get into training camp. Yeah,
0: I think that's, I think that's a fair place to, to start. And then we'll move on to QB notes where Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton's not terrific, but I do think that he is slightly underappreciated, at least in fantasy. So last year he finished quarterback 23 in points per game. Of course, left his last game early with an injury The year before that, QB 16, QB 12 in 2016, QB 10 in points per game in 2015, QB 18, QB 3, QB 12, QB 16 as a rookie back in 2011. Right now, he's being drafted as the number 26 QB in ADP. So we're drafting Andy Dalton below the worst fantasy finish of his career. And even if we look back in that season, Andy Dalton was QB 14 through the eight weeks where AJ Green was healthy.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I'd i have to look back for sure, but he, he his pass-catching core now is as good, I think, as it's ever been with A.J. Green healthy, with Tyler Boyd, um, with Joe Mixon, Gio Bernard, Tyler Eifert, we'll see how long he will stay healthy for. They have C.J. Ozoma, too, as an insurance. So, um, yeah, I think Dalton should be going, you know, and it's, it's, it's obviously quarterback super deep, but it feels like Dalton is going, you know, five, six, seven spots lower than he should be. Also could be some positive rushing production, um, positive regression coming in, in, in his rushing production. He had two-plus rushing touchdowns in five straight seasons from 2012 to 2016. He hasn't scored any in the past two years, so you know, that, that could be another little boost for him.
0: Yeah, he's been a mobile dude dating back to his uh, college days, so there's there's some rushing upside, not something to count on, but you know another little thing that could be in there. And, and really, I, I have Dalton down around the bottom of QB2 territory as well, but... For me, rather than saying he's a player who belongs a lot higher, he's a guy who kind of serves as a floor for me, yeah. where I can say, ah, "Do I need to get my quarterback here? No, because I've still got another four rounds until Andy Dalton's ADP says he's likely to
1: go." Yep, I completely agree. He's like the he's like my my last guy that I feel good about at quarterback, so I know I can wait until you know he, he's starting to come up in ADP. Yeah, he
0: is ahead of Matthew Stafford for me though. Um, just to, I don't know, put a little more context there. Running back notes: Joe Mixon, who we of course loved last year, was our breakout player uh, and broke out. I mean, the the overall numbers might have been suppressed a little bit because he missed two games, but he rebounded from the knee surgery. There, he drew seventy three point four percent of Bengals carries in the fourteen games that he played for the entire season. Only Saquon Barkley beat that share of team uh, rush of team carries. I wonder if Mixon will now be in for a rise in target share this season. Zach Taylor's two seasons with the Rams saw Todd Gurley draw shares of 18% and 15.7% in targets. Mixon checked in at just 12.1% over his 14 games last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's the exciting thing with Mixon. If you think that Zach Taylor is going to sort of stick him in that, that Todd Gurley role, because you know that, that could really be a nice boost. But even if his volume just stays where it was last year, Mixon uh, was 7th among running backs in opportunities per game. That's carries plus target. So you know, he gets that type of volume. I think he's a super talented player. I think you know he deserves to be a 1st round pick in fantasy drafts.
0: Yeah, he's very good, and I think heading into the league, he was a better receiver than Todd Gurley is. So yeah. uh, there's definite upside in that area. RB10 in PPR last year, RB9 in points per game, hit the top 24 among running backs in PPR, nine of the 14 games he played. Geo Bernard reports say he's moving around the formation in off-season workouts. Uh, maybe, maybe he can be there. Daryl Henderson.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I we get those reports every spring, it seems like. And I, I would love to see see Geo Bernard get more work because I think he's just sort of been underused throughout his Bengals career. Um, still, just twenty seven year old twenty seven years old. So maybe he you know finds a home somewhere else and and does make a bigger fantasy impact. But um, Geo averaged just two point nine carries, three point five targets in. Um, 10 games alongside Joe Mixon last year. So unless that grows by quite a bit, it's not going to be a real fantasy factor without another injury to Mixon.
0: Yeah. Bernard has caught at least 35 passes in each of his six seasons in the league, but he's coming off a career low in carries. I agree that there's not a whole lot to like about him as long as Mixon's healthy, most likely. But there is room to gain some targets versus a receiving core that's that's got A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd, Mm -hmm. and then not a whole lot else that we can rely on. There's upside to John Ross. There's upside to Tyler Eifert if he stays healthy, but those are two ifs. And if we don't get either of those things, then Gio Bernard could be like the number three receiver if they want him to be that for Cincinnati.
1: He probably um, he probably should be. I mean, I'd rather give Gio a target than John Ross. Right.
0: <laughs> so I think there's there's handcuff upside, there's big handcuff upside, and he's going way late enough for us to take him yeah. even just for that. Yeah,
1: I think if you view him as a handcuff, then then you're you're fine.
0: Elsewhere in the backfield, Rodney Anderson, Trivion Williams joined the team in this year's draft. Potentially interesting for the future. Gio Bernard's in a contract year. I'm not paying attention this year though unless Bernard or Mixon goes down.
1: Yeah, I think the Bernard contract year thing makes him interesting in Dynasty, but I you know, long shots to be factors this season.
0: Yeah, and I mean even there I wouldn't get too excited because both guys were sixth round picks.
1: Yeah, and, and Joe Mixon's there, he's young, right. he's good.
0: Exactly. Pass catcher notes, AJ Green returns in he had L- eight healthy games last year, as I mentioned. Uh, he was, over that span, he was wide receiver 5 in non-PPR, wide receiver 7 in PPR. He then had toe surgery in December. We're going to have to watch that. It's the second time in three seasons he has lost six-plus games to injury. But in between, A.J. Green played a full 16 games coming off the torn hamstring of 2016.
1: Yeah, and like you said, he's he's remained productive when he's been on the field. Um, last year, he finished as a top 36 PPR wide receiver in seven of his eight games, um, You know, 88% uh, you know, starter weeks, which would have tied for fifth best among wide receivers. Um, PFF had him 12th among 79 receivers in their receiving grades. He was seventh in yards per out run. So, you know, he, he turns 31 later this month, but I, I think Green is still, you know, an elite wide receiver. And if he's healthy, I think he's still a wide receiver one in fantasy.
0: I agree. Since he entered the league in 2011, he's seventh among all wide receivers in PPR points per game, sixth in non-PPR top four in total fantasy points across formats, despite tying for 10th in games. AJ Green ranks fifth among wideouts and receptions over that spin, fourth in receiving yards, fourth in touchdowns. He's just one of the best receivers in the game and he's 30.
1: Yep, and 26% target share for him in his eight healthy games last season. You know, that was with Tyler Boyd. Tyler Eifert was healthy for like half those games. So you know the Bengals were still treating him as a true elite number one wide receiver with his volume.
0: Tyler Boyd, meanwhile Broke out last year and, you know, you might glance at it and think that he gained exposure from A.J. Green going down, but Tyler Boyd actually saw 22.3% of Bengals targets in the eight games that A.J. Green played before that initial injury, 21.6% in the six games that he played after Green's initial injury and before Boyd went down with his own knee injury. So it wasn't A.J. Green leaving the lineup that catapulted Tyler Boyd. It was Tyler Boyd breaking out.
1: Yep. More targets, catches, yards, touchdowns per game, all with A.J. Green than without him. Um, Tyler Boyd was wide receiver 12 in PPR points through week eight with A.J. Green, which is much, much higher than he's being drafted at right now.
0: And wide receiver 11 in non-PPR. He finished top 16 across formats despite losing Andy Dalton for the final three and a half games that Tyler Boyd did play. Football Outsiders rated Tyler Boyd fourth in DVOA among all wide receivers last year. He played well. He's in a solid situation. He's a clear number two. I agree he's undervalued. Yep. John Ross is in for obvious touchdown regression after he scored seven times on 21 catches in his second season. But it's worth noting that five of those seven touchdowns came in the red zone. Two of those came from Jeff Driscoll. So he did produce in, you know, a tough spot and was used in scoring territory. It was a step forward. Of course, there's still a lot of work to do. 36.2% 36.2% catch rate on the upside. At least he wasn't traded amid all the rumors.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ross actually led the Bengals with seven targets inside the 10 yard line. So they obviously saw something in him that they liked near the goal line. So, you know, maybe he doesn't regress in touchdowns as much as we might think, but beyond the touchdowns, it was super ugly last season. Um, he finished dead last among 79 wide receivers with 50 plus targets and yards per target. It was also dead last among 429 wide receiver seasons of 50-plus targets over the past five seasons. Um, he was also dead last among those 79 in yards per target. So, you know, not not much to be excited about. There has been some positive buzz on him this spring, but I feel like we got positive buzz on him last spring and summer. And you know, again, it, it didn't turn out too well last year.
0: The best hope for John Ross is that this offense just like explodes under the new coaching staff. Yeah. I don't think that we're set up for an explosion. I don't think that we're going to see an offense that will regularly support a third wide out. But, I mean, if you want to take John Ross at the very end of a draft, sure. you're not really risking much. Yep. Tyler Eifert, it's injuries. They, they make him nearly undraftable. It's the story with Tyler Eifert. That said, 14.8% career touchdown rate. Puts him back in the picture. It makes him worth a late shot at a position where you can take a shot, and if it doesn't work out over the first three weeks, yeah, yeah, dump him.
1: Yeah, I mean we saw him for four games last year. He was okay. 15 catches, 179 yards, one touchdown. He finishes the top 12 tight end in two of those four games. Um, You know, saw 19 targets, was seeing you know about five targets per game. So again, he can be useful. It's just you can't really count on him to stay healthy. The NFL. Isn't counting on him. He toiled in free agency for a few weeks and then had to settle for a one-year, $4 million deal with the Bengals. So he's just like a flyer at this point. I think for the Bengals and fantasy teams, like whatever you get out of him, you should just consider a bonus.
0: Yeah. I guess the good thing is that he's coming off a broken leg, which is one right. of those injuries that heals and then you're yeah. done with it usually, as opposed to, you know, yeah. something in a joint that can yeah. linger.
1: Yeah. He took part in spring workouts. So, you know, mm-hmm. for now, he's healthy. Right. Right.
0: Who I like, Tyler Boyd at wide receiver 29 very easily. I like A.J. Green at wide receiver 13, but Boyd's value you know, relative just uh, just pushes him
1: ahead. Yeah, I would agree that Boyd's the better value. I actually have been drafting a lot of A.J. Green, though. He's at wide receiver 13, going in the late third round. I've got him in the fourth round a few times, which honestly feels like stealing again. <laughs> yeah. I still think he's a wide receiver one.
0: Yeah, whenever I see him in the fourth round and I'm picking in the middle, I'm like, oh, come on, let it keep going, <laughs> let it keep going. Gio Bernard really is a value that I've been sleeping on, I think, at at running back 62, probably because I tend to have my five running backs by then, and I don't usually go beyond five in best ball. But I think that there's enough chance that he catches some passes when Mixon's healthy that he makes sense at that level, you know, bottom of RB5 territory. And, of course, if Mixon gets hurt, Gio Bernard becomes a super handcuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, at, at running back 62, it was 62, right? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone down there is, is basically a handcuff. I think Bernard, someone who, yeah, like you said, maybe gives you a couple starter weeks even when Mixon's healthy. And, and we've seen him produce as like a borderline running back one when given the chance to be you know, something close to a feature back.
0: Mm-hmm. Who I don't – really, there's nobody that I strongly dislike mm-hmm. here because nobody's excited about the Bengals. I, I think Mixon's the only guy that really looks like a candidate, but I, I think he belongs yeah. – on the one-two turn, I think he's worth considering in round one.
1: Yeah, I think Mixon's fairly priced. Um, Again, I think Andy Dalton's a guy I've been drafting at, he's at quarterback 26, and even Tyler Eifert at tight end 24. You know, when you get, down to there, I think Eifert gives you more weekly upside than anyone else you're going to get at a tight end.
0: I think the potential downside for Mixon is if the offense just yeah. is terrible, if it's last year's Arizona Cardinals yeah. for David Johnson. Yeah, the
1: coaching changes at risk. The O-line is still an issue, especially after they lost Jonah Williams, who they took in the first round. It was supposed to you know, lock down the left tackle spot, so that hurts. The offensive line is still a concern.
0: Yeah, so that's why I wouldn't attack Joe Mixon, but I'm going to get some Joe Mixon just yep. in case things go well. I mean, it was nice
1: getting him in the what, third round last year. <laughs> yeah, it that sure was.
0: was. Uh, Cleveland Browns up next, and they, of course, hired Freddie Kitchens as the head man after he served as their messiah last year in the second half, took over as the offensive coordinator after Hugh Jackson finally got the boot. The offense leaned slightly more toward the run under Kitchens, but it was probably because of more victories. They went about 50-50 pass run in those five wins. Overall, they were 59% pass under Kitchens. Then they hired Todd Munkin as their offensive coordinator.
1: Yeah, just stick with Kitchens quick. Yeah, so the 59% pass rate, that would have been 14th. So they're they're pretty average as far as run pass split. The offense was just really good under Kitchens, though. 395 total yards per game. That would have ranked fifth best in the NFL um, over the course of the whole season. So like Freddie Kitchens, like Todd Munkin, he's another guy who um, has had success. He was the Bucs' OC for the past three years. Um, The first two were under Dirk Cutter, who's an offensive mind. So tough to know exactly how much, you know, sway – Munken had the last year he was calling the plays. Um, the Bucks went extremely pass-heavy, finished first in the NFL in passing yards, actually third in total yards. So, you know, g- good news for Baker Mayfield and, and the pass catchers here. Yeah,
0: and that's been the story with Munkin since the hire is pointing to his uh, pass-heavy recent past. I would throw out one caution that all three of the Bucks teams where he coordinated the offense were far weaker at running back. Than these Browns are. In 2016, eight games of Doug Martin was the leading rusher for Tampa Bay. In 2017, 11 games of Doug Martin was the leading rusher. And last year, Peyton Barber was a leading rusher. Nick Chubb is way better than any of those versions yes. of running backs. So I'm a little hesitant to go as heavily toward the pass side as, as many yep. seem to be.
1: That's fair. Um, I've also, you know, read stuff from Munkin about, you know, how he loves to air it out and get Mm -hmm. the big chunk play. So I do think that's his Mm -hmm. philosophy. Um, Last year's Bucks sixty one point six percent pass. I went with sixty and a half percent pass for the Browns this season.
0: Yeah, I I went with fifty nine percent. I mean, you know, it's in the same ballpark. It is including sacks. I I could see it going a little higher. I wouldn't be shocked if they went a little higher. And frankly, if, if Todd Munkin really is, you know, that much of a passing advocate, that matches up with what the numbers say at this point the folks who are crunching numbers and not just going off football history or following what the Patriots are doing. It makes Mm -hmm. sense to get the chunk plays. I will also throw out, though, that play pace slowed under Freddie Kitchens last year. 70.3 offensive snaps per game for the Browns under Hugh Jackson, down to 57.6 per game under Kitchens. Again, they ran the ball more. They were winning more. So maybe that was by design. Maybe it's not something that carries over. And it was only a, a, a very small sample. Maybe it's not anything to judge, but something to be aware of.
1: This will be an interesting situation, too, because, you know, you have Kitchens and Munkin both offensive minds, and there was a report a couple weeks ago about there already being some, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but some friction, friction, that's a good word, between uh, Kitchens and Munkin, so we'll see how that plays out this summer. I know, you know, everyone's high on the Browns, a lot of these guys going super high in drafts, so it'll be worth keeping an eye on to see how this offense is going to look.
0: Bucks, by the way, were high in play volume over the past three years, so that's can easily counterbalance anything on the the Freddie Kitchen side. Quarterback notes, Baker Mayfield, you know, I think we're all optimistic for Baker Mayfield going forward. Mm -hmm. The question is how much you have to be to get him at this point. So let's start by saying the addition of Odell Beckham will obviously help. Uh, Eli Manning saw his completion rate, his yards per attempt, his touchdown rate all rise significantly when Odell Beckham was on the field versus not. And from week four on last season, Baker Mayfield was already quarterback 10 in fantasy.
1: Right. Set a rookie record with 27 passing touchdowns, despite not starting those first three games. Um, Sixth most passing yards by a rookie in NFL history. 7.66 yards per attempt was the seventh best mark among 62 rookie quarterback seasons at 300 plus attempts. So, you know, we, we love Baker. He he was honestly better than even I thought he'd be as a rookie. And now, like you said, at Odell Beckham, I think there's, there's obviously monster upside. Like you said, though, the price... I think, you know, sort, sort of bakes most of that upside in. No, I get
0: it, bakes. <laughs> and, and and Mayfield was 11th in the league in touchdown rate, 11th in yards for pass attempt. Those are high numbers for a rookie, but beyond that, I mean, there it, it's, it's not way up at the top yeah. as, as in numbers that are necessarily going to regress. I could see him staying at that range. I could see him doing better than that after adding Odell Beckham. But Baker Mayfield's yeah. going fifth in ADP. I mean, I'm almost always going to be off a top five quarterback anyway. I feel like, especially with Mayfield, that is his ceiling probably.
1: Uh, Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, it's pretty much his ceiling and, you know, he's going, I think in the seventh round, like you said, I'm not taking a quarterback at that price, which sucks because I love, you know, Baker Mayfield and Russell Wilson are probably my two favorite NFL <laughs> quarterbacks, and I, I'm not drafting either of them this year just because because where they're priced in drafts. It's an
0: unfortunate, nasty game. <laughs> Running back notes, Nick Chubb, another guy that I know you're not drafting, but he handled 75.5% of Browns' carries after last year's Carlos Hyde trade. That share would have led the league for the season. He averaged 17.6 carries per game over that span. That would go out to 281.6 carries over a full 16 games. Chubb even beat Duke Johnson by six total targets over that post-Carlos Hyde span. Uh, And he scored 10 total touchdowns despite the Browns ranking just 20th in scoring last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's an awesome player, and there's no doubting... The rushing volume and, and production he, he should provide this season um you, you talked about the, the volume he also led all 47 running backs with 100 plus carries and pro football focuses elusive rating last season so i think he's an awesome player my concern is just in the passing game and his target volume even after the carlos Hyde trade last season chubb saw just 8.4 percent of the browns targets he saw 2.8 targets per game so that, that's a full season pace of 45 targets that would rank 26th among running backs last year. So my, my issue with him is just in PPR. Is he going to see enough targets to pay off his price tag?
0: Yeah, it, it adds risk to him. And he's going in the middle around too two. Um, for me, he's not necessarily overvalued. He's going too early for, for me to be charging yeah. after him. But I also want to grab a few shares, and I have to this point, just in case things really are about to mm-hmm. blow up in Cleveland. Because if the offense is as good as you know a lot of the optimism hopes that it's going to be i i can't see it not bringing nick chubb along with it and, and and creating a bunch of touchdown opportunities
1: yeah i mean there's a chance he scores like 14 times this year of course we haven't even mentioned the kareem hunt you know factor either you know he's going to be back for the final eight like, games and how much volume is he going to steal from nick chubb so you know, those are my concerns with him it does seem like his adp is dropping I've, I've seen him get like some the late second round in some recent drafts and i think that's when he starts to become an option for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, if Chubb gets into the third round, I think he's an easy pick. Yeah. And I would decide how you feel about Nick Chubb. Not change your opinion of him because of Kareem Hunt. Because we're going to miss Kareem Hunt for eight games. So, worst case scenario for Nick Chubb, he's the clearly back for half of the season. And then he probably still retains some trade value if you're worried about Kareem Hunt post-comeback. As long as you don't wait too long to make that move. I'll be curious to see... But at the same time, if Nick Chubb is dominating for eight games, I can't imagine the Browns being like, all right, well, time to take, you know, 40% of your carries and give them to the guy who likes to punch people at nightclubs.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Hunt is going to have not played in a real NFL game in nearly a year when he comes back. It's a new offense, and I mean, Hunt is good, but I think there's a chance that Chubb is better, and he's just so good that... Hunt really can't get on the field. I'd be
0: willing to bet that Nick Chubb is a better player. We'll we'll see going forward now that they're in the same situation. Duke Johnson carried just 18 times in eight games after Freddie Kitchens took over the offense last year. Uh, 22 carries over the first eight games. And Cleveland, as I mentioned, ran the ball more over the second half when Duke Johnson was getting it less. Did draw 12.5% of the targets under Kitchens, but he ranked fourth on the team over that span. And now, of course, he's asking them to trade him, and they're like, no, we're not trading him.
1: Right, and he's got Odell Beckham to you know fight for targets with. He uh, Duke Johnson did see a slight uptick in targets under Kitchens um, from 3.6 to 4.1. Um, still finished the year though with career lows. In carries targets and catches um i I still think he's a good player that you know could be a a fantasy asset if he got the volume but i I don't think he's going to get it in cleveland this year
0: i think at this point we're all hoping that he actually does get traded you know maybe when we get into august and somebody gets hurt there will be a team that's willing to give like a third round pick for him tampa when they remember that
1: ronald jones sucks (laughs) skills
0: he would be uh, that would be a nice fit for duke johnson so fingers crossed here that duke johnson becomes a buccaneer pass catcher notes Cleveland added some dude. Only Antonio Brown has averaged more fantasy points per game among wide receivers over the past five years, which of co- is, of course, the span in which Odell Beckham has been with us across fantasy formats, that is, too. And all of his production has come despite Eli Manning ranking 25th in completion rate over that span, 25th in touchdown rate, 30th in yards per pass attempt over that five year span.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I still think Odell Beckham's in the discussion as the top wide receiver in the NFL when he's healthy Um, and it's tough to overstate how big this quarterback upgrade is 7.7 yards per attempt for Baker Mayfield as a rookie last year Eli Manning has reached that mark in only two of his 15 NFL seasons with the last one coming in 2011 which was a few years before Odell Beckham even came into the league so it's just just a huge upgrade for Beckham he should be even more efficient this year than than he has been in New York
0: yeah, you know that Eli Manning was throwing as hard as he could in those two seasons, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mayfield, his his numbers in completion rate, touchdown rate, yards for pass attempt, last season, beat they all beat Eli Manning's five-year rates in those categories that I just mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago. Manning's stats were measurably better with Odell Beckham on the field. They were measurably better when he threw two Beckham versus other Giants receivers. It's not a stretch to, to guess that Baker Mayfield will find the same benefit. From throwing to Odell Beckham. So the receiver obviously got an upgrade at quarterback. I think the only real question is target volume because Jarvis Landry's probably better than anybody that Odell Beckham had to share the field with in New York. I guess you could make an argument for Evan Ingram or it's Sterling Shepard. They're close. Yeah, potentially. Yeah,
1: yeah I mean, you could argue. I think Landry's a slightly better version of Sterling Shepard. Um, yeah, that is the only concern with Beckham. I, you know, in my projections, though, I was pretty easily able to find. A 25% target share for Odell Beckham. And again, you know, we have the Browns leaning a bit heavier towards the pass than average. So you know, I, I got 149 targets for Odell Beckham, which was actually fifth most among wide receivers in my projections. Yeah,
0: he came out high in, in target volume for me too. It was not hard to find it, even without giving him something crazy. Uh, 25 is definitely an attainable level. And I think that's a, a reasonable expectation after you send a first-round pick and a previous yep. first-round pick player to the team to acquire him. So I, I don't think it's hard to find the numbers. Yep. Jarvis Landry, the it, it feels like an annual question with him whether his target share is finally going to drop. This, though, is the first time that he has actually played with a wideout who is clearly a better player than he is. And we already saw Jarvis Landry's volume drop last year. He went from 30.6% target share with Hugh Jackson to 20.8 percent after the shift to Freddie Kitchens.
1: Yeah, that that's that's the most concerning thing for me with Jarvis Landry is just those numbers under Freddie Kitchens. Only 6.9 targets per game um, with Freddie Kitchens. The other thing too, I and mean, it's weird, is that Landry was the most inefficient season of his career <laughs> last year, and it came you know with the best quarterback he's ever played with. Or um, is so, it? Maybe Ryan Tannehill
0: was the best quarterback he ever yeah. played with. <laughs>
1: 54% catch rate for Jarvis Landry, easily a career low, uh, 6.6 yards per target. His second worst mark, that was 73rd among 79 wide receivers with 50-plus targets. I, I honestly think that's all going to flip. Like I think you know, he's been an efficient guy. He, you know, he works the shorter areas of the field. He should be a high catch rate guy. Playing with Baker Mayfield, I, I'd expect him to get you know, back into at least the mid-60s in catch rate this season. I think the question is... Does that offset the loss in targets that's coming?
0: Yeah, I think the catch rate rebounds, uh, I agree, and that brings back some of the other efficiency numbers with it. So I think Landry is well set up for efficiency, and he does have run after the catch ability where perhaps more space created by this suddenly more explosive offense, and Odell Beckham being outside, allows for more of that from him, but... Uh, there is definitely going to be less target volume available, and Jarvis Landry has always been a volume-driven player yeah. in fantasy to this point. So if he's going, you know, in anywhere inside of wide receiver two range,
1: uh, I'm out. He's not though. That's the thing uh, to like about him. He's, he's significantly cheaper this year than he was last year.
0: Elsewhere in the wide receiver core, it's Rashard Higgins versus Antonio Callaway. Higgins beat Callaway in catch rate last year by a pretty safe margin. Even beat him in yards per catch, 14.7 to 13.6. Callaway, though, is the higher upside athlete, the bigger deep threat, and he has earned praise from coaches for a strong spring this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think no matter what you look at, Higgins was better last year. Beat him in catch rate yards per catch, yards per target, uh, averaged more yards per route run, finished higher in PFS receiving grade. So Higgins might deserve the first shot at it, but I do think it's gonna be Antonio Callaway. You know, he flashed at times with that big playability. Remembering with Callaway too that he didn't play football at all at two, in 2017. Um, you know he was suspended for off-field stuff, so you know he was probably a bit rusty. So he mm-hmm. he's the better guy to consider among these two, I think. But um, I'm not sure either are gonna see enough volume to be real fantasy factors, assuming Beckham, Landry, and Njoku stay healthy.
0: Plus Callaway was probably still reeling from that preseason punishment where he had to play an <laughs> entire
1: game. That's right.
0: David Njoku was the tight end, 19% of team targets over the first six games last year, which made it look like he was heading toward a big year. Then 16.6% overall over Hugh Jackson's nine games, 14% over the final seven games after the coaching change. It it seemed like by that point David Njoku was playing through a few minor injuries. Maybe that played a role. Maybe it didn't, you know, that's too small a sample for us to really draw too much. And most importantly, Njoku is going into just his third NFL season. He just turned 23 yesterday, the day before we recorded this on the 11th. He should be an ascending player at this point, a former first round pick. I'm a little worried about target share and red zone opportunities, but he's at least at a position where he doesn't necessarily need high target volume.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. I think he is the type of talent and this Browns passing game could be good enough where, you know, he maybe ranks 12th among tight ends and targets but finishes like 7th in fantasy points. And it just, it just seems like everyone's like cooled on Njoku. So yeah, I think he's he's decently priced. I wish he was going <clears throat> a bit later. But again, I think he's a guy who, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised if he takes a big leap forward in his third season.
0: Yeah, tight end, tight end 10 in ADP right now. I think that's a fine price. Who I like. I think all the Browns look either appropriately priced or overpriced at this point. So there is not a single player I'm really chasing after. Yeah, I think
1: um, Odell Beckham, <clears throat> 15th overall. Um, I'll, I'll take him there. Jarvis Landry is going wide receiver 30 in the 7th round. I'll take a shot on him there. And then Njoku um, in the 10th round, or sorry, in the 8th round is tight on 10. I think it's okay. None of those guys screaming values, but I'll... If I'm up and they're at the top of my rankings, I feel good taking them.
0: Yeah, I'm with that. And like I said, I, I, I've taken some shares of Nick Chubb, especially in best ball, where I think we'll get at least some big games uh, mixed in, even if he's not consistent. I, I haven't taken Jarvis Landry yet, I don't think. I Probably just because I've been conditioning myself for like four years now <laughs> to not take him at ADP. So now I just look at him and think, nah. But also because it's best ball drafting at this point, and right. right behind him are Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, Marvin Jones is around behind him. Will Kiki Fuller. Cutie. I'll yeah. you know, <laughs> skip over Will Fuller. But Kiki Cutie's in there. So, you know, it, it, he doesn't win on upside versus the guys around him. For me, I, I'm not saying he can't way outscore those guys. It's possible. No, yeah,
1: I think you're right. I think he is a guy who probably has more value in lineup setting leagues than best ball. Yeah
0: who i don't like Baker Mayfield at QB5 unfortunately i'm not as i said earlier i'm not likely to be chasing any top 5 quarterback i think Baker Mayfield especially though is being drafted at or at least near his fantasy ceiling
1: yep you have Carson Wentz going a round and a half later than Baker you have Cam Newton going two and a half rounds later than Mayfield i think both those guys have just as much upside yep
0: Pittsburgh Steelers on the relevant coaching changes front there is nothing that i see
1: Nope, nothing. Randy Fickner back for his second season. Um, in his first season, super pass-heavy. The Steelers led the league with a 66.6% pass rate. That was the highest we've seen since the Falcons back in 2013. You know, that, that, And the Steelers have been a pass-leaning team, but that was still way up from the previous three seasons when they were 60.3%, 593 575
0: Yeah, if you throw in sacks, they were second slightly behind Green Bay, but it was still the pass-heaviest season of Ben Roethlisberger's career. Uh, I projected them at 63% yeah. heading into this season because, I, I don't know, I don't have any reason to think that they're going to lean way back in the other direction. I mean, Some, I think, but I just don't see a huge yeah, I mean, change. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think losing Antonio Brown, I mean, I, I have him down at 59%. That might be too low, but I, I do think with Brown gone and, you know, question marks behind Juju Smith-Schuster that you know, they, they might rely on these running backs a bit more. You know, They obviously returned James Conner, J.N. Samuels, and added – uh, Ricky Venice
0: Snow. yeah they might I mean it'd probably be a smart way to go but I don't I don't really trust this team to be all that good either so I think that they're mm-hmm. going to be chasing points at yeah. times um, but fair. we'll see yep. uh, QB notes Ben Roethlisberger 2018 was the first time that he has led the league in pass attempts and or completions it was the second time he has led the league in passing yards the first time he has gone past 5,000 it was a career high 34 touchdown passes the third best completion rate of his career But now we have to figure out what happens with no Antonio Brown. The last time that Ben Roethlisberger played without Antonio Brown heavily involved was back in 2010. I think that was Brown's uh, rookie season or his second season. And at that point, the Steelers had Mike Wallace, Hines Ward, Emmanuel Sanders. So they were pretty well stacked at wideout at that point.
1: Yeah, I, I looked into that too. You know, Ben finished as a top 10 fans quarterback in four of his seven seasons before Brown returned. like you mentioned, they they had good wide receivers over that span. I think better groups than what they're trotting out there this season. Since 2011, which was Brown's second season, Big Ben has averaged 8.8 yards per attempt, targeting Brown 7.3 to everyone else. So a big drop there. Um, You have the concern, the fact that he is 37 now. I mean, that cliff's going to come at some point. Even last year, he was just 16th among 31 quarterbacks in PFFs. Passing grades—it was his worst passing grade since 2008.
0: <laughs> yeah, so he won on volume, and he won on having Antonio Brown yep, on still, yep. probably. Uh, running back notes: James Conner ranked ninth in Pro Football Focus's elusive rating among all running backs with at least 100 carries. He carried 19 times or more in five out of the 13 games he played. He cracked 100 yards in each of those games. He carried 15 times or fewer in the other eight never topped 65 yards in those games so he was a bit up and down but I think he was better than I've been mentally giving him credit yes. for last season
1: yeah he was you know I, I watched pretty much every Steelers game live because you know boss, <laughs> boss man Lenny's a big fan and yeah Connor was super impressive last year and he obviously produced for fantasy with the volume um, you know if you look at just his his 12 full game so he missed three and he, he left the other one early with a concussion um, he was on pace for 269 carries that would have been second league wide. He was on pace for 93 targets, which was more than I remembered, um, which would have been sixth most among running backs. So, you know, the the question this year, is that volume going to remain? Because we're already hearing that, you know, the Steelers want to get Jalen Samuels more involved and maybe get Benny Snell more involved.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I expect Jalen Samuels to be on the field more. I do think that James Conner is going to remain the clear lead ball carrier and not get his rushing share threatened that much. Jalen Samuels did rack up 18, 21, and 15 touches in the three games that James Conner missed late in the year. He carried just twice in the finale, though, after Conner returned. Did rank third on the team in that game, though, with eight targets. Had five more targets than Conner. I think certainly that's where Jalen Samuels, who was like a play-everywhere guy in college, can threaten James Conner's workload.
1: Yeah, when you watch him play, it looks like Conner's the better runner and Samuels the better pass catcher. And if you look at the PFF numbers from last year, they backed that up. Um, Samuels beat Conner in yards per route run and receiving grade. Conner pretty easily beat Samuels in elusive rating and rushing grade. So I, I think it you know makes sense for the Steelers to use Conner as the primary ball carrier Samuels, you know, coming in on, in, in passing situations.
0: And it makes sense for Samuels to be the better receiver. I mean, coming into the league, people weren't sure whether he was a running back or a tight end. Mm -hmm. And even at NC state, he never really settled in as a running back. So we might see his role continue to develop. We might see room for Jalen Samuels to really grab regular targets here. Even if he's stealing from people besides uh, James Conner. he could steal from a wide receiver core that is suddenly not all that trustworthy behind Juju Smith Schuster. Uh, you know, maybe he turns into an H-back type. There, there's room for Jalen exactly. Samuels yeah. to produce without pushing James Conner aside.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, Antonio Brown leaves behind 168 targets. Even Jesse James is gone. You know, he saw 39 <laughs> targets last year. So there's, you know, the over, over 200 targets available there. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And we have heard the Steelers using Samuels and Conner on the field at the same time in mm-hmm. certain formations. You know, that would probably be Samuel lined up in the slot
0: you have any notes on Benny Snow? I, I, nope, I don't. You can head to DraftSharks.com and read the Dynasty player profile if you want to. I think we wrote him up. I remember watching him, but now I can't remember if I actually wrote him up.
1: There's at least a shark button on him. With some in- I, mean, <laughs> I mean, the Steelers like the guy. So yeah. Yeah, he's worth They drafted watching. him earlier
0: than people yeah. expected him to go.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, neither of us were fans, but the Steelers yeah. are. So that, that, that matters more than what me and Matt think.
0: Yeah, I don't think that there's... 2019 relevance for him unless somebody goes down but yeah. you know we'll see what happens. Pass catcher notes, Juju Smith-Schuster is certainly going to be relevant. Only 3 receivers have ever caught more passes over their first 2 NFL seasons than Smith-Schuster did. Uh just 9 have ever compiled more receiving yards than he did. He we will see what life actor yeah. Antonio Brown means for him, but at the very least Juju Smith-Schuster is among the best bets league-wide to lead the NFL in targets this year.
1: Yep, agree with that. Um, we have three games of Juju without Antonio Brown over the last two seasons, <laughs> so small sample, but he's done well in those games. Six catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown, nine for 143 and a touchdown, and then five catches for 37 yards and a touchdown.
0: One of those was a Week 17 with no Roethlisberger,
1: wasn't it? Yes, that was last... no like Andrew Jones, um, maybe? I know last year week seven, seventeen twenty seventeen yeah I think. I think you're right. Browns missed he Brown missed week sixteen and seventeen in two thousand seventeen and he missed the finale last year.
0: There you go. So I mean the, he's going to get a ton of targets. He's been very good so far. He'll still remain good. The kind of risk is that the efficiency comes down mm-hmm. now that he's the focal point. I'm not going to call it a concern. I think his ceiling goes to the top of wide receiver yeah. just on volume. I think Smith Schuster is a pretty safe bet. Anywhere inside the top six of the position.
1: Yep, and he's—I believe—he's going wide receiver six in ADP. Um, so yeah, he, he's definitely a guy I have drafted in, in round two.
0: Dante Moncrief, not very efficient, but he looks like the number two wide receiver. He's going 50th in best ball drafts. I mean, I didn't dig too deep on him because I don't think he's very good. But there's opportunity here, and he's going in a range where it's like, sure, yeah, he, why not?
1: He, he just won't quite die. Like he's been close to death a few times, and now <laughs> he's like in Pittsburgh, a chance to be the number two wide receiver. The best thing I can say about him last year, he did lead Jags wide receivers in yards per target. He averaged 7.5 yards per target. Um, D.D. Westbrook was at 7.1, Keelan Cole at
0: 7.0. That's because he would catch a 50-yarder and then drop a 50-yarder and then catch a (laughs) 50-yarder.
1: 50-yarder to 50 yards.
0: (laughs) Yeah, James Washington is going 180-p spot ahead of Dante Moncrief at the position right now, which he probably shouldn't be. I mean, there's upside certainly for James Washington to outproduce Dante Moncrief this year. I don't have any reason at the moment to believe that it's going to happen.
1: And I liked James Washington a lot coming out last year. Um, So I'm not giving up on him by any means, but his rookie season was ugly. I mean, he he couldn't carve out much of a role. He finished seventh on the team in targets. He was fourth on on the team uh, among Steelers wide receivers and targets behind Ryan Switzer on top of um, Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. And then among 107 wide receivers who saw 30 plus targets last year, Washington ranked 99th in yards per target, tied for dead last in yards per outrun, tied for dead last in receiving grade.
0: And we can skip Deontay Johnson for now, right?
1: Yeah, interesting just because the Steelers took him and they've had success drafting wide receivers. Honestly, though, he wasn't even on my radar pre-draft. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's certainly interesting for Dynasty. We'll see if he can put himself on the 2019 map. Vance McDonald's certainly on it, though. Open last year with an August foot injury. I was worried that that was going to sap his season entirely, but it only cost him week one. McDonald rebounded to play every game after that. He finished 12th among tight ends in targets and receptions, 11th in yards, tied for 9th in touchdowns, tied for just 15th at the position in red zone targets, though. Only nine career red zone touchdowns through six seasons, so there's big target upside overall we have to see whether the Steelers want to treat him as a primary red zone option now that Antonio Brown's gone. Yeah, I think it would make
1: sense for them because he has the size and athleticism and Brown's leaving behind those red zone targets. Brown's obviously leaving behind the 168 total targets. Again, Jesse James leaves behind 39 targets. I I think there's a path for Vance McDonnell to get to 100 targets Mm -hmm. this season, which only, I think it was five tight ends got there last season.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's possible. And he is a I, he was a college receiver, I believe, who was playing tight end in the NFL. I know, yeah,
1: I know he tested very well coming out of Rice. I'm not sure if he played any receiver there. But yeah, definitely. He, he's been a pass-catching guy. He's He even flashed in San Francisco. It's just injuries mm-hmm. have been his issue. And I think that's the biggest concern in 2019.
0: Yeah. Fortunately, if you're drafting in August, especially late mm-hmm. in August, you'll know how healthy he is heading into the season. And that's really all that we can count on. Mm-hmm. Who I like. I'm never going to say that I actually like Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> in any sense. But... I think he's a solid value at QB 15. Uh, I mean, even if he falls off, he's probably not going to make you wish you hadn't
1: drafted him at that level. Yeah, I, I actually have him as a guy I don't like. There's just other guys <laughs> I'd rather have. If I mean, yeah, I can get that. Ben's a guy where he's another one of those guys where it's like, you know, here's this group of like 10 quarterbacks still available. I'm just going to sort of wait till there's like two left and then take one. And if it's Ben Rothsburg, that's fine. But yeah, I just I'm not sure what to expect about Antonio Brown. The nice thing with Ben is you have those, you know, home road splits that we've seen for the past mm-hmm. few years. Now, if those remain, then you know Ben is a you know, top five fantasy quarterback when he's at home.
0: Yeah, and I say I'm never going to say I like him. I haven't mm-hmm. been a- drafting him because I don't want to, but uh, I can't fault anybody for drafting him in that range. Mm-hmm. I also am with you saying it, he's right there with players such as Philip Rivers, maybe even Kirk yeah. Cousins, who's going well after him. They sure, yeah. could could outscore Ben Roethlisberger for yep. sure. I, Overall, I'm really not taking any sealers so far.
1: Yeah, so I think James Conner and Juju are fairly priced where they are. James yeah. Conner's running back nine. I think that's right where he is in our rankings. Juju's at wide receiver six. I think that I think that's where we have him ranked. So fine prices. Um, who I don't like, Big Ben. Vance McDonald has rocketed up in ADP. Mm-hmm. He's going in the seventh round now. is tight end nine. I can get Austin Hooper two rounds later, and McDonald is more exciting, probably brings more weekly upside, but I'll take Hooper two rounds later every time.
0: Oh, yeah, and listen to the AFC South show for the touchdown upside on Austin Hooper if you're wondering why. That's going to do it for the AFC North episode and for the Projections Preview Series. You can find every episode of this series on DraftSharks.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Also on DraftSharks.com, you can find hundreds of player profiles, our projections for every guy we've discussed in this series, and the exclusive MVP board that customizes those projections to fit your scoring system. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shouse, and thanks so much for swimming with us.